What's up, everything? The NHL trade deadline is behind us, which means we have nothing to look forward to except phenomenally fun hockey and guest hosts. Today, we'll be joined by our old friend Justin Horniker of the Running Throw Podcast, who is here to talk about everything that has to do with the St. Louis Blues, what they did at the deadline, and their three matchups this week. We'll also be joined by our friend Kyle Guype of the Hockey Writers, who covers the Nashville Predators and has some strong opinions on what they did at the deadline. We've got all that and more ahead, so let's get started and let's go Blues! Welcome back, everyone. It is Thursday, February 28th, the last day of February. It's going to be March tomorrow. That's crazy. Uh, this is the Two Guys No Cup podcast. It is one of the same guys and a different guy, but not exactly. It's Justin Horniker, our friend from the Running Through It podcast, who's been with us before. How are you doing today, Justin? I'm doing good. I think you guys just dragged me out whenever Ian's too uh, heroined up to get to the yeah, podcast, so I'm glad to be here. what it is. He... <laughs> Free-based heroin for the last week and a half, <laughs> and he just can't do the podcast. He's, I'm his alter ego when he's when he's two in the back. He says he's traveling at the Grand Canyon, but it's a really a Grand Canyon of. Um, it's a Grand Canyon of some sort. It's a Grand Canyon of withdrawal, <laughs> is what it is. And he's riding a Sherpa of regret. Um, you don't ride Sherpas, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> People get it. People know what we're talking about. They know. They know. We are here basking in the glow of the trade deadline that was, I didn't think, to make up a place we're recording from. We're in two different places. Where are you tonight, Justin? Feel free to make something up off the top of your head. Oh, man. I'm not that creative. Um, <laughs> he is I'm in somewhere in Wayne Simmons' basement. There we go, and I am running. It's also located Kansas City. Running up the staircase of the Philadelphia Library from the movie Rocky. So there you go. <laughs> That's how we're recording this podcast. Ian, we, or not Ian? Good lord, we're already off to a bad start. Justin, we, Ian, and I recorded a bonus episode about the trade deadline. But for folks who didn't turn in, tune into that or folks who just can't get enough trade deadline discussion, I thought we could go back over some of the big moves of the day and sort of get your opinion on it, because it's always good to get a dissenting voice since you disagree with us so often. Um, so why don't we talk about the trades that happened in our division, and then we can touch on another couple of big trades. Uh, why don't we just start with the one that pains you the most personally, which was Wayne Simmons going to the... Nashville Predators for Ryan Hartman and a conditional fourth round pick that I believe becomes a third if the Predators make the second round. So probably a third round pick, but who knows? Uh, Simmons for Hartman and at best a third. What do you think about that trade? It's a good trade for Nashville. Um, yeah, Simmons is one of those players I've just always kind of liked his style of play and I think would have fit a Blues team pretty well. Um, yeah, you know, he's. Brings that physicality, but it's obviously like very skilled and is good at what he does. Um, but yeah, and then for Ryan Hartman, for it seems like you could have 
Like, the players should have that laying around. But, you know, who knows? <laughs> yeah, I mean, excuse me. I feel like Simmons has taken a lot of grief lately. And let's be honest, he is one of those big physical players who really could break down really fast. Like, I wouldn't want the Blues to offer him a five-year contract in free agency or anything. Um, but as a rental at the deadline, to pay that little to add him to your team... It just seems like a total win for my side of the coin. And uh, we have an interview coming up with a friend from Nashville who covers the Predators. He's not actually from Nashville, but he does cover the Predators. And uh, we'll get his take on it, too. But he seemed to be pretty in favor as well. How about the other trade the Predators made, which was getting Mikhail Granlin from the um, Minnesota Wild in exchange for Kevin Fiala? I've warmed to this a little bit, but I started as an absolute zero for the Wilds' perspective of things, so warming to it is not much. It's not much. It's not saying much. How do you feel about this deal? Yeah, I mean, this trade in the vacuum I don't think is terrible, but in the grand scheme of, like, what in the world are the Wilds right now, it does not look great. Is like, compared with the rest of their West of the trades and like rest of they've done all like the last half of the season and they're still in a playoff spot. Like what are they doing? Yeah. I feel like with both the coil and the, um, this trade, the Grandland trade, you brought in guys in Fiala and, uh, Donato that are just very similar players, a couple of years younger. I just don't feel like they move the needle a lot. You know, I feel like you've got maybe two uh, different younger second line forwards, but I don't think you traded for anything that's going to really change your team going forward. Maybe you saved a little cap room in the equation, but I don't think either Granlund or Coyle were really overpaid and of the people they need to move out of Minnesota. Just some strange moves, and the Nita Rider trade was the worst of them all. That was the most bizarre, but I don't know what Paul Fenton's doing up there, except maybe he had a real man crush for Kevin Fiala from his days with the Predators. I don't know about that. I mean, he's a good young player, but so is Granlund, so I don't get it exactly. Yeah, it seems like they're trying to rebuild without actually like recouping the draft picks that need to rebuild. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it seems like they're trying to do a rebuild on the fly, and it's just like you don't have enough. Their problem isn't their problem isn't a lack of bodies; it's a lack of high end talent, I think. And like, yeah. maybe I mean, maybe Fiala still has a chance to become a a top line player, but I don't think he's ever going to be an elite player. And Greenland already was a you know a kind of okay top-line player, so it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, but we can move on to talking about... So those were the the Predators' two big additions, as well as Brian Boyle, who they got a little earlier that we talk about uh, with our guest. And then uh, the Winnipeg Jets, their big move, they made a bunch of small little tinkering moves, but their big moves for trade deadline day was getting Kevin Hayes from the Rangers for Brandon Lemieux, a first round pick and a conditional fourth round pick. Um, Hayes is a, is a center that I talked about last week. I kind of liked for, uh, I would have liked for the blues to get, this was obviously a price the blues couldn't pay because they don't have uh, a first round pick among other things or Mario Lemieux's son or nephew. I'm not really sure what he is, but, (laughs) Um, Kevin Hayes to the Winnipeg Jets. How do you feel about that? 
yeah, I mean, it's, it seems like a player that's going to fit in well with that team, and they've been struggling lately. So maybe keeps track, keeps them on pace with what uh, the Preds did, and then I don't know. It's a tough matchup. Yeah, He's a big body. Yeah, absolutely. I I kept seeing this trade just talked about as if it was like a carbon copy of the uh, Stasny trade from last year, because that Stasny trade really worked well for the Jets. And he plugged right into that lineup and became like a number two center and really buoyed them through the playoffs and helped them. Yeah, and I'm not familiar. Like I'm not as familiar with Hayes' style as Stasny's, obviously. <laughs> um, but Stasny seems like a player that can kind of blend in a little bit more. He's not as like big physical, which I think sometimes doesn't, you know, mess with the chemistry a little bit. So it might take a little bit of time. But yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of, kind of what I was saying was I think Hayes is not exactly the same style i mean he's obviously a number two center in that respect but he doesn't win face-offs nearly as well as stastny um he's probably a he's a pretty decent playmaker but his biggest trait is just his size he's six five two sixteen and so he's kind of a physical um space occupier you know front of the net net front presence type guy and that is not stasny at all so it was a little weird to see them constantly comparing those two teams uh but well whatever i think it's a good fit (laughs) i think it's a pretty good fit for the jets i just am a little curious about that comparison uh the Avs made a minor move adding Derek brassard for a third round pick doesn't move the needle tremendously but i thought it was a decent pickup for them do you have any strong thoughts on that Oh yeah, I think they he fits the mold of that team pretty well. And even though they're probably not there yet, um, they're going to have a nice off season. So, oh, yeah, ain't hey, nothing right now. But next year and a couple years down the line, the, it's always something to look forward to. I feel like people who, and this isn't an insult, but people who aren't paying strict attention don't realize how scared they should be of the Avs. But the yeah, well, I, I didn't think they were that good last year. Then they like ran over us multiple times. So I definitely learned my lesson with like underestimating that team. And right. I think they might have overachieved a little bit, but they're only going to get better. And that top line is the best one of the best <laughs> in the NHL. And they're only going to add to that. So, right. And what's yeah. frightening is they have Kale McCarr, who's one of the, if not the best defensive prospect in all of hockey right now, who should be ready for the NHL next year. And then they're Probably, I mean, they're going to have a top three pick at worst and probably the first overall pick than the deal they got from Ottawa. And then if they miss the playoffs, which it looks like they probably will, or they're, you know, maybe they're a low seed, but if they miss the playoffs, they'll have another top 14 pick and they'll just be, they'll be rolling in it really quick. <laughs> and I and Nathan McKinnon is on like a ridiculous right. team friendly contract. Oh, so yeah. it's not like insane. Their top end players are taking up like all their salary. Yeah, it's not, I mean, whatever, whatever, um, I can't think of his name. Rantanen gets this off season. It's going to pale in comparison to what, uh, McKinnon is already making on the best contract in hockey. So yeah, it's, they're a scary team going forward. Uh, the Stars are not an especially scary team <laughs> going forward. They got Ben Lovejoy, an old, old man, to play, I think, defense. I should know what position Ben Lovejoy play- plays. 
since he's been playing hockey since before I was born. Uh, yes, defense. Um, in exchange for Connor Carrick, who's a decent young defenseman and a 2019 third-round pick, felt like an overpay to get some veteran presence in there, but the bigger deal they made was Matt Zuccarello for two second-round picks that could become two first-round picks. And what did Matt Zuccarello promptly do in his first game, Justin? He died. He's dead. <laughs> he died. He <laughs> literally died. He took a puck off the forearm and didn't just break his arm. He died. They just haven't announced it to the public. No. He came in. He got his first goal, his first assist in a Stars uniform after Henrik Lundqvist was broken up and unable to speak about his departure, which was really sweet, but also a little unsettling. Uh, Zuccarello <laughs> came in, scored a goal, got an assist, and then blocked a puck with his arm, left the game, was diagnosed with a broken arm, and is out for at least four weeks, which at this point we're talking right at the start of the you know final week or two of the season is the earliest he could return. So not going to help them get into the playoffs much, <laughs> uh, for certain. And, yeah, I have such like apathy for the stars that like it's hard for me to really feel bad for him. But if you're a Dallas Stars fan, this is a rough week when you. Ooh, yeah, yeah, that's hard. I nothing. <laughs> I nothing the stars until I have to hear their god awful goal chant, and then I despise yeah. the stars. But yeah, I mean, I I still almost feel bad for him with this. This is just, ugh. This is the nightmare scenario. The good news is, I guess. If he doesn't help them get into the playoffs, they can't uh, make the Western Conference Final, which is one of the conditions that uh, the second-round pick becomes a first-round pick. And then I think the other second-round pick becomes a first-round pick if he resigns with them, which uh, why would they resign him and give up a first-round pick? I don't know. But in any case, uh, Zuccarello out for the foreseeable future. A couple of moves outside the uh, division that are worth mentioning. The Stars got a lot better up front with the addition of Gustav Nyquist for a conditional second and a conditional third. Not a horse. He's a decent scoring right winger for the, or something winger for the Red Wings before this. Any thoughts on Nyquist? Yeah, I think the Sharks, they're offensive ability is scary um where like even if they don't have a goalie they could probably just outscore you anyway so they like compensate so much to their lack of competent goalie um yeah i, I like that trade for them yeah, they're it's a, it's a scary a nice, team it's a nice little sneak move they would be i would say runaway favorites in the west if their goaltending wasn't god awful right now and has been all season so that's the big concern for them but if martin jones turns it on they'll be really scary uh and then the just needs to be like league average bully if yeah, he can do that exactly if he can scary. make it there they'll be frightening uh the big i mean I'm, i would say the biggest single trade of the day was the mark stone trade happening pretty close to the deadline the uh, vegas golden knights traded uh their prospect brandstrom first name i'm looking it up um, which I should know, Eric Brandstrom. I should have known because Eric Carlson, Eric Brandstrom, and a second-round pick, uh, and Oscar Lindbergh, who's another just kind of young throw-in piece for Mark Stone, who they immediately extended at the tune of eight years with an AAV, <coughs> excuse me, of $9.5 million. Uh, huge win, I would say, for the Golden Knights, uh, I've kind of gone back and forth on how I feel about it for the 
uh, Senators, I think they had a pretty decent deadline overall considering how hard and awful a one it was for the organization. Um, but how do you feel about the return they got for this player? Yeah, I mean, it's all right, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, it's better than letting all three of them walk in the offseason, but I think they probably could have done more for Stone, maybe. Yeah, but, I, um, I like it for Vegas, definitely, because, you know, you, like, lock up your winger of the future and uh, didn't have to give up a ton for him. Mm-hmm. I feel like... Uh, with the fact that they allowed them to negotiate an extension, they really yeah. should have pr- pushed to get a first round pick. You know, and yeah, if, I think yeah. If they, they agreed at to least. the if they agreed to the outline of this, you know, said Brandstrom in a second, let's say, and Lindbergh, whatever, and they had that, and then the Knights offer asked to speak to Stone to make the trade. I would have pushed really hard if I was Pierre Dorian to say you need to pay us of you need to change that second to a first to get the right to negotiate with his agent and whatever you know with him and the agent because it just feels like a a bigger loss i know for you he wasn't going to sign an extension anyway so it technically doesn't matter but when he goes and he's now not really the star of the Knights, because that's still sort of, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury and some of the guys that are have been there, but he goes right to the Knights and is now a fixture of their future. It just takes the... It stings a little bit more. I mean, I think it all kind of hinges on Brandstrom. Some people see him as a really spectacular prospect who could be, you know, the next Eric Carlson. Others see him as more of a kind of question mark i know cory Prombin at the athletic who is the guy ian and i turn to a lot tends to be a little yeah. lower on him um but you know if if he turns out to be spectacular nobody's going to be complaining about not getting a first round pick out of that deal but um yeah i think if you just like if you just compare it to other traded line deals years past like the blues got a first and foley for Paul Stasny, and I think that Stone is probably a better player than Paul Stasny is. And he resigned, so I think you should at least get a first. And if Branstrom turns out to be what he is, then good, but you should have gotten more in that package. Yeah, exactly. I just think it's a little bit of a loss. But they did really well on the other two trades, both of which they made with the Blue Jackets, so I guess we can uh, talk about those. The Blue Jackets (laughs) went absolutely all in on the deadline after months and months of speculation that they'd be selling the likes of Artemi Panarin and Sergei Bobrovsky and cashing in their chips and waiting for next season when they had a thousand billion dollars in cap space. Uh, They instead traded for everything right now and got Matt Duchesne for a couple of prospects and potentially two firsts if he resigns. They got uh, Ryan Dezingle for two second round picks, uh, both of those obviously coming from Ottawa. They got Adam McQuaid for a fourth round pick, a seventh round pick, and Julius Bergman, who is a a young-ish defenseman who they got back in the Duchesne trade. And then they got Keith Kincaid uh, for a distant, distant fifth round pick, the backup goaltender of the New Jersey Devils, which good news, Justin, means that Mackenzie Blackwood actually gets to be an NHL goalie again. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But 
other, I mean, how do you feel in general about the Blue Jackets going all in more so than, I mean, we can talk about the individual deals, but what do you think about the decision-making of Yarmo Kekalainen and uh, John Davidson and all our old friends with the Blue Jackets? Yeah, there's some things I really don't understand about this. Like, okay, so at this point, you essentially, like, you have to at least make the conference finals for this to be, like, a successful going all in. Um, and they're, like, in a position where they might not even make the playoffs. So the disaster scenario is you go for all these players, and then you don't make the playoffs, and they all walk in the off season, and you have, like, two draft picks this season. And Literally. I don't know, they, should, they should clean house if that happens, if they don't at least, like, make it out of the first round. Yeah, I mean, this is just – this is – literally going all in and you know you've got you're holding a pair of twos or pair of, <laughs> you don't even know maybe it's it's kind of like a blind really because you don't even know what you're holding you don't know you just added two major forwards to your forward group possibly yeah. changed your backup goalie added a new defenseman you don't know what your team is now and like you said they're <coughs> excuse me they're fighting for a playoff spot it's not even you know We'll talk in a minute about the Blues holding Pat at the deadline. Um, but it's not even like the Blues, who at this point, as ridiculous as it seems, are pretty securely in com- command of the playoff spot that they hold. The Blue Jackets are nowhere near as secure. They're arguably a better team in some ways, but the Western Conference, those top nine spots are very much in flux. And so... Man, I don't. I mean, I I applaud the brazenness of any team that has the cojones to just go all in and do it. But I don't. I get the thought process for like most of it. So you're betting on the fact that with all these guys, you make a deep cup run, you convince them to stay. But the Keith Kincaid trade, I have like no idea what's going on there because now you're going to roll with three goalies, and Keith Kincaid is not. He's not like backup quality even at this point. I just don't get that. I honestly wonder if they traded for him just to give them the flexibility to shop Bobrovsky on deadline day. And, yeah. And, you know, maybe they hoped that they could get a deal in place and go with Corpus Allo as their primary starter and just nobody was out there really biting on Bobrovsky. I don't know, but that He said, deal, thank you, Ryan Miller. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that deal just made no sense otherwise, because Corpus Allo, even if they're a little down on him, he's much better than Kincaid has been this year. So, okay. <sighs> I don't get it. Um, the Blues did make a very minor move, adding Michael Delzato for a six-round pick. Justin, is this the move that secures a Stanley Cup run for the St. Louis Blues? Absolutely, because it means one thing. It means that... You are no longer calling upon the captain of the AHL team to come up and uh, play seventh defensive minute for you. So this is what cements our team. This is what makes it happen. No more Chris Butler. See you back in the AHL. Are you talking trash about Chris Butler? Don't do it. Don't talk trash about Chris Butler. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, after all the speculation that the connection between a certain free agent superstar whom we will talk about in detail a little bit later in the podcast, and um, Alex Petrangelo, their connection on the Junior Blues uh, in Toronto all those years ago 
would result in said certain free agent superstar joining the St. Louis Blues. After all those talks fell flat, uh, Doug Armstrong knew he had to make our dreams come true, so he got another member of those yeah, I mean, junior Yeah, I mean, Bill is the real star on that team anyway, <laughs> Which, so mean, you're really getting the best. Jokes aside, can we talk <laughs> about the idea of a, like, I don't know what age those guys were, but I think like 10, 11, 12, that age group of a team that had two future first overall picks in Stamkos yeah, and Tavares. Two fu- other uh, future first round. Interviewing him on the radio, and I think it was like in between second intermission, and he said like they lost one game on a shootout yeah. that Tavares missed, and they oh, still yeah, didn't crap did about that. it. <laughs> and then because like because Delzato and Petrangelo were both first round picks in two thousand eight, I think. And then the yeah. goalie was Michael Hutchinson, who's an NHL goalie now. I mean, admittedly a backup, Unreal. or was maybe he's in the back in the AHL for now, but like a. A fringe NHL caliber goalie. It's just incredible. I know that it's Toronto and everyone plays hockey and every hockey player comes out of there, but that sort of team still has to be rare. Um, Yeah, so the Blues, (coughs) they don't do a lot. So obviously we don't have strong opinions about the Delzato trade specifically. How do you feel about the Blues just in general sort of standing pat and not making major moves at the deadline? Yeah, I'm okay with it. I... I didn't really. The only thing I'm mad about is seeing Simmons go to get go to Nashville. But um, I don't know. I don't think you really mess with this chemistry right now, and you held on to your prospects. And yeah, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I agree. I think the team's rolling. You don't, as I wrote right before the deadline, you don't want to give up Cairo for a rental or anything unless it's a huge addition to your team. Um, so yeah, I just I think. Good call overall. I'm usually not in favor of the team holding Pat if just for entertainment value, um, but this year I was pretty fine with it. Um, and Steven, you're getting Prawn and Shen back, which I'm not sure if you knew this or not. It's kind of like a trade. <laughs> I've heard. I've heard stories about that. I actually mentioned that uh, to our guest who uh, I spoke to, Kyle from the Hockey Writers. And I said, as much as it pains me to admit it, it sort of is this year. I hate that line of logic, but Perron, at least specifically, if he ever comes back healthy, which I feel like we're constantly two or three days away from his return. Uh, but, you know, it's been over a month for him, so it's been a while since he's been in the lineup. But yeah, I do That's hate today, that. like him and Shen were skating in practice, taking full practice. Yeah. So, like, it has to be soon, you would think. Yeah, I mean, they did say, um, I think Shen is arguably possibly supposed to be back tomorrow. Steen, I believe, is supposed to be back tomorrow. And then Perron's not making the trip to Carolina, but it's just one day and back. So, hopefully, he'll be back soon. We'll see. Um, Before we go any further, this is as good a place as any to put our conversation with uh, our friend Kyle, my friend Kyle, you don't know Kyle, but you'd be friends too, our friend Kyle, Kyle Geip from the Hockey Writers, uh, who was kind enough to join us and uh, give us some thoughts on the Predators, their moves at the deadline, the Blues kind of 3-0 run against them this month, which was all three of those games were 
kind of unforgettable nights, including the one you and I will talk about, Justin, in a few minutes. Uh, and then sort of the thoughts on what this uh, playoff series between these two teams might look like if we go that, that far. Uh, Justin, do you have anything you'd like to chant or say towards our Preds fan guests before we let oh, him in? Just let him know that it's all his fault. Okay. Uh, Kyle, it's all your fault from our uh Occasional but much beloved co-host Justin. Uh, those are his thoughts, not mine. We still love you. Uh, so let's throw to Kyle, and then we'll come right back. Hey, everybody. We are here uh, being joined by my friend Kyle Geip, who is a writer and editor over at the Hockey Writers and covers the Nashville Predators. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, how are you doing, Stephen? I'm doing pretty well. It's been a whirlwind season for the Blues, at least. I know for the Predators, it's been kind of steadily just chugging along, but um, we've had an interesting couple months here, our two teams, I think, so it's good to get to talk to you a little bit about it. Absolutely, same here. And Yeah, the Predators have been pretty steady, uh, a little frustrating at times, but Nothing like the excitement levels that you've had in St. Louis, so yeah, I'm just, I feel for you and envy you at the same time. <laughs> it's night and day from the start of the season, from the team being booed off the ice to people standing the entire game. I mean, it's really unbelievable. Um, so <laughs> why don't we dive in with what the Predators did at the deadline and before the deadline, because I think you really bolstered your forward core in really interesting ways. You got Cody McLeod for a seventh-round pick which you can talk about as much or as little as you'd like. Uh, but you definitely did at the same time get Brian Boyle for a 2019 second-round pick, and he's been a pretty good contributor for you guys so far. Is that right? That has been, and I will talk about Cody McLeod as little as I can, <laughs> uh, possibly can. Uh, I guess I'll mention one thing. I think they acquired McLeod because of the Austin Watson suspension. Mm-hmm. Uh, Laviolette, I think, likes having an enforcer in his lineup. That's all the McLeod is. He doesn't bring anything offensively, and uh, he's been a healthy scratch as often as he's played since rejoining the Predators, so there's that. Um, Boyle's been great, though. He only has two goals, but immediately he helped to strengthen their power play, which is, I think, still last in the league. It's been just what I would call hot garbage this year. Um, I've written a lot about it. I get frustrated that their power play flows through the defensemen, mm-hmm. and which is okay because the point shots are great, but it's also really easy to shut down, and um, it, it's hard. It's easy to clog up the lanes in front of the defensemen. And what Boyle brings is a net front presence. He just creates havoc in front of the net, and he's got pretty good hands. So it's been nice. Um, he's gotten physical already. He fought Dion Phaneuf a couple games ago, and. I don't like fighting, but it's nice to have somebody who's skilled and physical. Yeah. And it was pretty, pretty cheap Yeah, uh, to acquire him. So Second round pick is a good price to pay for all of those tools. Yeah, I think um, also just a great story. Great player for the game. So. Yeah. And something else that's – he's also a left shot, which sounds silly, but the Predators have such a right shot heavy lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, all three of their top line are right shots. Uh, Craig Smith, Kyle Turris are all right shots, Kyle Yarncroke. And so to get a left shot in there, just to have a balance, especially at center, is, I think, an underwhelming part of that trade, but it could prove pivotal uh, later in the season and in, into the postseason. 
Yeah, the Blues had that last year where their lineup was pretty much entirely right-handed shots, and it's you don't think about it until it becomes a problem, but it really can sort of sneak up on you. Yeah, it's hard to get one-timers from you know, the left side of the ice, essentially, I guess it would be the right side. Depends on how you look at it. Yeah. From the, you know, that side of the ice, and you know, it's easier for power plays to, or penalty kills to key in on that part of the power play then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Um, so Boyle's been in the fold for a few weeks now, and then on deadline day, you made uh, what I would say was kind of the shocking out-of-nowhere move of the day when uh, the Wild traded you Mikhail Granlund for Kevin Fiala straight up. Um, I don't know if Paul Fitton still had an IOU to the Preds organization or what happened here, but to me this was arguably the robbery of the deadline. Why don't you talk, before we talk about Granlin, why don't you tell a little bit about Fiala? Because I know he was a good to great prospect at one point and had that leg injury, that brutal leg injury against the Blues in the playoffs. But is he still expected to be a really good player or just kind of a contributor at this point? I think he has absolutely his top six potential. Um, He was drafted 11th overall, so he has a pedigree. He has been steadily climbing as far as his development has gone. Last season, he had a really strong season. Uh, let me check. With 23 goals and 48 points. And that was the first time he did. He eclipsed 20 goals or 40 points. So that's great. And I think he came into this season really expected to capitalize on that, take the next step, maybe still into it get past 50 points and he's still in his entry-level contract too so he's young he's what is he 22 yeah he's 22 um i think both peter laviolette and david poyle were getting frustrated with how slow he was uh developing mm-hmm. so he's fast he's got good hands he's got good vision but he just wasn't shooting the puck enough he wasn't burying shots when he did have the chance and in general, the Predators forwards have struggled to score this year. And so even with his assist numbers being up, he probably would have you know, had more assists if they would have actually buried the pucks more. Yeah, yeah. You know, nothing you do about it. Yeah, that's true. And I think, I mean, maybe, maybe Fenton knows him as well as anybody coming from the organization, so maybe he really is a believer in him. But the player you get back, Granlund, is a perennial, you know, 60-plus point player, at least since he left uh, Mike Yo's control when Yo was fired in uh, Minnesota, probably partially because of how poorly Granlund was developing there. How do you feel about acquiring him for that price? I'm really excited. I I think losing Fial is tough um he may have a higher upside than Granlin long term especially offensively is a good offensive player but I'm really excited for Granlin because he's got a uh, lengthier track record of you know scoring in the NHL um I like his game a lot he seems like he's gonna fit in perfectly with Laviolette's system he's not real tall he's you know smaller stature but he's a really good skater and he's finished, so he's got that good two-way player or two-way pedigree, and he's you know got good vision, good hands. He's an excellent skater, and I think he's going to fit in perfectly on the second line with Kyle Turris and either Craig Smith, Wayne Simmons, Kelly Arncroke, whoever. Laviolette has a really good track record of making those smaller guys work. Just look at Victor Arvidsson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. he's been. It's, 
it seems like a perfect fit ultimately. And it did, I think you mentioned it kind of came out of nowhere. It, I didn't even know Mikhail Granlin was on the trade block mm. or was even available. And I meant, I had heard rumors that Fiala was available. I had mentioned in a couple articles that I thought Fiala may be the centerpiece of a trade for like Mark Stone or Matthew Shane or something, mm-hmm. or even Wayne Simmons for that matter. But I never <laughs> expected them to get somebody of Granlin's caliber back for just Fiala. Yeah, and Granlin has a year left of control, I think, at you know, around five point seven million. So yeah, I mean that's it. To me, Granlin was arguably the best player in Minnesota, best forward at least, and I was surprised to see him moved. I don't know exactly what Paul Fenton's doing, but that's not our job, I guess, to figure out. And I had read an interview that David Poyle said the the trade was actually bigger than just Granlin for Fiala. I don't know what that meant. I don't know if I have no idea what that means. I I really don't. I don't know if uh, Poyle talked down the asking price to mm-hmm. just Fiala. I don't know if Minnesota was sending more roster players back, but this must have been in the works for quite some time. And like you said, Fenton's familiar with Fiala. The Predators know who Granlin is from playing the Central. Yeah, it's it's a really good one for one trade, and I think that the Predators get better in the immediate. And I think the Wild should be better long term. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fiala's, you know, I think four or five years. He's five years younger, and I do think Nashville will resign Granlin too, though after next year. He, uh, their cap situation's pretty good, and I think he's going to be a long term piece. Yeah, yeah, that would be. He's a good addition for sure. Uh, and then you all kind of rounded out deadline day by finally making the move we were all sitting around waiting to see happen, I think, by acquiring Wayne Simmons for Ryan Hartman and a conditional fourth-round pick that can become a third if the Predators get to the second round. How do you feel like Wayne Simmons fits into what was already a stacked forward core, especially after adding Boyle and Granlund? Be really objective to this because i've been a really big wayne simmons fan for a long time mm-hmm. um up in pennsylvania i've seen he and the penguins battle constantly and i've always been a fan of simmons style of play and things like that so um i wrote an article about how the predators should go after simmons but if it meant giving up fiala or a first round or i guess fiala and a first round pick i wasn't a fan of it mm-hmm. and then i wasn't a fan of giving up eli tolvanen or Dante Fabra for him either. So, you know, I just thought the asking price was too much, essentially. Mm. So when they got him for all that they paid for him, I was really ecstatic. And last night was his first game uh, with the Predators. And his game fits so well. Of course, he and Laviolette have familiarity when Laviolette was the coach in Philly. Mm-hmm. And he already got that net front presence working, which he's known for. He's got silky smooth hands in front of the net. He... Jams, rebounds home, tips, pucks, um, just creates screens, all that stuff. is probably as well as anyone in the league, actually. Better than Boyle because he's got more offensive um, skills than Boyle does. And then he's just a, a pretty good two-way player, too, which is surprising. He's good on the back check. He knows where to be um, in the defensive zone and in the neutral zone. And he goes to where he has to to score goals. And like I said, that showed last night in just his first game. So I'm excited what happens moving forward the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, as a as a rival fan, rival team, I really did not enjoy seeing the Predators get that much stronger at the deadline. For seemingly, I mean, Fiala is a good young player, but for seemingly 
relatively little cost. Yeah, and especially with the Simmons trade, I mean, Ryan Hartman, boy, if what Boyle or what Poyle did this season by giving up virtually nothing to get Simmons, it erased all of the wrongdoings he did last season when he gave up a first, a fourth, I think, and Victor Edsel at last year's trade deadline to acquire Hartman. Mm-hmm. And Ryan Hartman had 10 goals and 10 assists before the trade deadline. Like, he was not, he was the third line player, and it's pretty much always going to be. Mm-hmm. And Victor Edsel was a pretty good prospect, and the Blackhawks used the first round pick on Nicholas Bowden. Bodine, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how you say his last name, but he's an excellent defense prospect. And I mean, yeah, the Predators didn't need a defense prospect, but any of those picks, um, around like, you know, 29, 30 in, in that range, they would have been great and much better, uh, I guess, had higher upside than Ryan Hartman brought. So to kind of close the book on that trade was good in and of itself. But then add Simmons on top of it is just, whew, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, I had tweeted earlier in the day that I could have seen um, Poyle making sort of an inverse Philip Forsberg move where, he kind of panicked late in the day and traded Tolvin in for something that he really wasn't worth. And it turned out to be the exact opposite <laughs> to me. But Yeah, so the one thing I, I guess, one other point on Simmons is, real quick, is like people are saying like how his two-way play has gone downhill, and he's not scoring as much as he has in the past seasons. But how much is that him versus the Flyers not being very talented? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think he's a really good player still, but that... You know, just saying that much. Yeah. Um, the one thing I didn't want the Predators to do this trade deadline was to get rid of either Tolvanen or Dante Fabro. I mean, <laughs> Tolvanen's uh, kind of lost a little bit of his luster from when he was drafted and when he was playing in the KHL last season. But he's still a really good player, and he's going to be a good, productive NHL player for a long time. And he's putting in the work in the AHL, and he's probably going to be on the roster come playoff time. Like, that's going to be a, an ace up the, you know, kind of the sleeve kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that phrase is. but <laughs> I think you got it. Yeah, he's going to be like, well, we're just going to pull it out of his back pocket and be like, here you go. You know, here's a top six forward playing on our bottom six, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, Dante Faber's at Boston University finishing up his uh, junior year, and he's just dynamic as dynamic defenseman come like he's right shot puck moving got good size he's won everywhere except the national championship and rumor has it that he wants to come he wants to turn pro at the end of the season so there's just another blue chip defenseman on the predators blue line that they did not want to give up Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, yeah i mean i i said it before we were recording i think you guys won the deadline pretty handily without giving up a lot so congratulations on that (laughs) <laughs> I wish I had a part. I wish I had a hand in it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so why don't we go ahead and talk a little bit about our our mutual interest with the Blues and Predators playing three games in the month of February. Um, all it really were one goal games. I mean, there was an empty net at the end of last night, but who cares? It was basically yeah. essentially a one goal game. Uh, Blues ended up taking all three, but I think any of the three of them could have easily gone the other way. Uh, what do you think about the Blues and Predators this month? Uh, you know, obviously you cover the Predators side of that more, more 
specifically, but uh, what do you think about the series they've had this month and what it means, I guess, going forward? I'm, I think, first and foremost, I'm really surprised with how much Craig Perube has been able to, like, just change the team. Mm. Um, he was the coach in, where did he coach before? Philadelphia. This? He was actually Laviolette's replacement in Philadelphia. He wasn't very good. No. no. Not especially. And, uh, <laughs> so I'm surprised that he was able to make changes in how he coached from then until now. And, I mean, you're more familiar with the Blues. I don't know how much change he's actually made. But whatever he's done has really kind of kick-started Petrangelo and Tarashenko's seasons. Because, I mean... A couple months ago, there were talks that both could be moved. Mm-hmm. Colton Pareko could be traded, which I thought was crazy. Um, you know, Jake Allen's a terrible goaltender, which he may still be a terrible goaltender. That's not, you that's know. still large. That's still. <laughs> yeah, but like Jordan Bennington's come out of nowhere. Uh-huh. And honestly, I think he should win Rookie of the Year. That's a really hot take. But what he's doing is uh, insane because the blue line's good, but it's not elite. Mm-hmm. Well, and I just. You've endeared yourself to a lot of Blues fans by saying that. Yeah, like, I, I think, hmm, I don't really know what to make of the Blues, though. Like, they have a lot of talent up front, and it's good to see Ryan O'Reilly um, excelling there. Tyler Bozak scored a goal last night, so that's fun. Um, but I've always been a Bozak fan. Uh-huh. Um, I think Pat Maroon was struggling early in the season. I don't know how he's doing now, but I've always been a fan of his game, and then I like Tarashenko a lot. And they're just they're getting hot at the right time, and that's a very scary thing. Yeah, for the rest of the league because momentum can carry you far in the postseason. Yeah, it definitely can. And I think, I mean, there's a lot of questions about the Blues whether Bennington can is really this hot. I mean, he's no no human being has ever been this good. So obviously, some of no. it is momentum. But whether he can carry them through the playoffs or not, and whether they can stay this hot, obviously, a lot of questions. But as far as the turnaround, I mean, there's no denying it's just night and day, I think I said earlier, from what they were earlier in the season. Um, and, I mean, it, it kind of leads up to it's looking more and more like the Predators and the Blues are potentially going to square off in the first round of the playoff with the uh, system that the NHL has in place right now. They're kind of battling for who gets home ice advantage for the rest of the season. Uh, unless, I mean, the Jets are sort of falling, so it's possible that all falls apart anyway. But what would you think about a potential playoff matchup between these two teams? Well, they don't like each other very much, so that, you know, <laughs> That's would be the start. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the Predators have to get more consistent. And... It's it's funny because last week they played four games, won three of them, but and uh, I think two of them were by one goal. The other one was by two goals, and then they were blown out five nothing by the Avalanche mm-hmm. on home ice. And they have to get more consistent when they they're starting. And last night was kind of a a case of that. The Blues are a really good team, but the Predators had no pushback. And I know they played the night before, and that's fine, but they just looked. Slog, like sluggish to open the periods mm-hmm. each period and something i've noticed is they don't play nearly as well in front of uc saros as they do in front of pekka Rene. and it has hurt saros early in the season but he's a re- fantastic goaltender the go- saves he was making last night were just he was incredible unreal yeah he's really good at squaring up to the puck uh being on his angles all that stuff tracking the puck everything um but 
I think it could be a really good series as long as the Predators find consistency. Because if they don't, it's going to be a very frustrating series for Nashville. And, like, it could still be a close series, don't get me wrong, but it's not going to be, like, the kind of hockey you want to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I hope if that series happens, I hope it's a lot like this, the three games we've seen this month where it's just nail-biting start to finish. I mean, I'd love for the Blues to win every game 7 nothing. That'd be better for my heart, but for my <laughs> enjoyment of hockey. Um, yeah, I mean, this these two teams look like they could have a really classic playoff series if they're both performing at peak levels. Um, do you expect... I mean, Rene is going to be the starter in any series, right? Even though people constantly want to question his playoff acumen. Um... I would have an extremely short leash on him. Oh, yeah? I I thought last year in the Jets series that Laviolette let him go too long in a lot of games. Um, Saros is... Saros was the better goaltender in the playoffs last year. No mm-hmm. question about it. And he's definitely the heir apparent to the net and stuff like that. So I think, you know, if Rene comes out of, a, you know, out of the gate and struggles, I think you have to go to Saros right away because... I mean, the Predators have a really good defense. That's no surprise. Yeah, okay, yeah. everyone knows that. Um, they're pretty good at shutting down offenses. They limit shots to the net and um, things like that. Unfortunately, though, this is a point I had written down, was the Roman Yossi-Ryan Ellis line. I don't know if you really were paying attention to when they were deployed. They A lot of offense happens when they're on the ice, and it's not all Nashville's offense. Mm-hmm. Like... <laughs> I, I love watching Roman Yossi uh, jump into the play and pinch down low and all that stuff. But the amount of two-on-one rushes or all-man rushes, mm-hmm. you know, things like that that are given up when he and Ellis are on the ice is like, it's alarming. Mm-hmm. And they have to do a better job of just stopping that. Like, offense from the blue line's great, but you can't be giving up as many chances as you're generating, especially yeah. in the playoffs. Yeah. So... The the Blues are an offense that will capitalize on that more times than not. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the Predators, they were missing Dan Hammies last night, which, as weird as, this, as weird as it is to say this, he's been really reliable this season, mm-hmm. um, especially in the penalty kill and just playing a good shutdown third-pair role. And they missed him last night because Matt Irwin, who's a pretty good defenseman, cannot play with Yannick Weber and expect to come out of that you know, for the better. <laughs> so they have to get Ham Hughes back. And I mean, there is a chance that, like I said, Dante Fabro could join the team at the end of the year. And I don't know what that looks like. Do you put a, you know, how old is he? 21 year old rookie into the playoffs on the third pair. I don't know. They're off their blue line would be more talented. Absolutely. But would it be better for the team? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, we saw that a, a year or two ago with Charlie McAvoy coming right out of college and, yeah tearing up the playoffs, so it's possible. Uh, but that'll be interesting to watch. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, if this playoff series happens, we'd love to have you back on to talk about it more in depth. But uh, for the time being, why don't you tell folks where they can find you, and we'll let you go. All right, so um, as Stephen said, I am a writer and editor for the Hockey Writers. I believe I'm the only writer who covers the Predators, uh, so it's pretty easy to find my writing. It's, you know, just go and find the team page, and my stuff's all on it. And 
uh, go ahead and check it out. I do a lot of <clears throat> analytical work, but I'm not exclusively analytics centered. Um, I do a lot of armchair GM stuff where I try to talk about trades. I think would happen, and I just try to give a, an objective approach to the team. Like I said, I'm not the biggest fan of Roman Yossi. I don't think you can find many Predators fans that would agree with me on that. So, yeah. There you go. Yeah. And um, I would love to be back on this, and hopefully, it is in a series uh, between the Blues and Predators. And I, I'm curious to know how that would work because if the Blues can maintain their m- momentum before the playoffs it would be a really tough out for the predators yeah i mean it would be a fun series and honestly from the blues and the idea of being in any playoff series a month ago seemed impossible so it's amazing to be here uh so yeah thank you for coming on and uh thank you for giving us your time i know blues fans tend to have an instinctual reaction to predators fans but kyle's one of the good ones so as there are many thank you (laughs) go check out his writing and we'll hope to talk to you real soon All right, sounds good. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, Kyle. And now we are back. It felt like no time passed at all. Um, Yeah, so thank you, Kyle, for coming on and recording that with me. Uh, It was a lot of fun. We hope to have him back sometime with either you or Ian. You're you're one and the same person. You're a hive mind, so... We are the same person. Um, (laughs) Before we go on... Justin, just building off some of what he said, uh, how do you feel about a Blues and Predators potential playoff series? Yeah, I mean, it'd be fun. Um, I think if you look at like my two favorite playoff matchups are the Preds or Chicago. We're definitely not going to run to Chicago this year, so the Preds would be the next best. Like I always feel like us in Winnipeg have a rivalry, but don't really have a rivalry. And then I feel like the, every Preds game is like a playoff atmosphere, so... I would, it would definitely be fun. Yeah, I think that'd be a really fun series. I think all three of these games this, uh, this month in the month of February could have gone either way. They didn't, and I'm glad about that. We won all of them by essentially one goal because the last one was a, um, you know, a, a late, late empty netter, as we'll talk about. But it was a, it was a fun series this month, and I would not hate playing them and figuring out who is the better squad once and for all when the playoffs come around. But we'll get to that. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Why don't we cross the bridge that takes us to the Enterprise Center and Saturday afternoon's game against the Boston Bruins. I think it was Saturday afternoon. That sounds right. So let's say that it was. Uh, Okay. You remember the Boston Bruins game oh so long ago, Justin? Are you ready to talk about it? I'm ready to talk about it. Excellent, because that's what we have to do. Uh, So (laughs) this game started out pretty good. Uh, There was some stuff going on in the first period. It was pretty, pretty, felt like the Blues were in some good control early on, and they capitalized on that with a goal seven minutes and 15 seconds into the period. Alex Steen scoring his seventh goal of the season. Oscar Sundquist with the assist. Uh, the incredible Sonny D has a really nice interception at center ice to take control, uh, and he had a nice back-and-forth pass with Steen as they entered the zone, and then Steen um, really unleashed a, a wicked shot, I think. <laughs> Ironic that he hadn't scored in something like 26 games since November 9th um, because it was a really nice shot once Sunquest got it to him in space and beat 
I believe this was Tuka Rask. I would remember if it was Halak. Yeah, I'm going to assume it was Tuka Rask. Uh, for the goal over his shoulder, making uh, the game one nothing. Any thoughts on this goal? No, yeah, it was a beautiful shot. Um, one of a steam shot of old, you could say. Said, that was like one of my favorite things about Steen's games. He can play back and forth on that wrist shot. You can just get off, but uh-huh. he hasn't been as good with it this year, obviously. Um, but that that looked nice. I hope I I know I realize I'm a little bit in the minority here, but I just I hope whatever if he goes the direction it looks like and has kind of a bumpy into his career on this contract. Uh, at least up and down. I hope it doesn't tarnish the 10-year career he's had with the Blues because he was really an underrated great player for us for a long time. And I think we, I hope we appreciate that after the fact a little bit more. Yeah, was it, was it uh, 2012? What year is it where he had like 16 goals to start the year? Uh, like really early on. That was like the year I always remember. Steen and then he got hurt and then like wasn't really the same the rest of the year. He but had, yeah, I think like you just forget how good he was earlier in the season, earlier in his career, because now this is what you have, and you have to yeah he remind had, yourself. Sometimes. He had thirty three goals in sixty eight games in the thirteen fourteen season, which is okay. That I'm must have been about. it. But yeah. I mean, that's impressive. And granted, he didn't stay a thirty goal scorer, but he was over twenty a lot of times and high teens a lot of the rest of the time. He's just been you know he's been good. He played. I also never realized that he played three full seasons with Toronto uh, before we traded for him. I always thought that he was like a young up-and-comer, but what a weird trade that was. Uh, in any case, yeah. we're not here to dwell on Alex Steen exclusively. Uh, Ivan Barbashev had a really nice forecheck on the penalty kill late in this period. Uh, he and Sunquist got a two-on-one, and they didn't score on it, but Barbashev fought uh, behind the net for the puck, and he eventually took it and draw drew a trip for his efforts, which effectively killed the penalty. It was a really nice job. Props to Barvashev, who was drafted with the 33rd pick in 2014. I just wrote about this, so I'm trying to nerd <laughs> out, but it might have been 34th. He is, I love Arvin Barvashev. He's one of our... Yeah, I think he's uh, underrated, especially because like last year was such a down year for him, but yes. I think this year's kind of been a return to form. Let us never forget that Ivan Barbashev was last year's Ivan Barbashev. Um, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the Blues started uh, the second period with a power play, but didn't take advantage. Uh, the play was pretty back and forth after that until Chris Wagner scored uh, with his ninth goal of the season. Really what I would say was a throwback to um, Blues defense circa November 2018. Uh, Kevin Miller and Tory Krug got the assists on this. Basically, a play developed where Miller carried it into the zone, and all four of the Blues in the zone, who I believe were Maroon Thomas, Dunn, and your very favorite, Chris Butler, uh, decided that maybe they should stop that guy, except they all four decided that, and no one realized that there was uh, a guy streaking into the zone. Behind them, his name was Chris Wagner, Uh Miller fed a, a pretty nice but not unduly difficult pass through to uh, Wagner, who really basically had a helpless Jordan Bennington in his path and scored an easy goal over Bennington's glove or under his pad, or it's hard to tell, but it was It gets me on this, like, the defense, like, they cross over each other to go get him. So it's not even that 
they all saw the guy and converge. Like they had to cross over to get to him. I don't understand where this goes wrong. And then he just crooks just right there, just gliding in. Yeah. And untouched. Like, can we talk, can we also talk about <laughs> can we just stop as a community with the Allen or Bennington stuff? Can we, can we just stop? Because I saw a tweet. No, you can be yeah, either or. You can support one goalie, and it's either the goalie's fault or the defense's fault. Yeah. It can't be equal. It has to be one. <laughs> I saw a tweet right after this. You might have even showed it to me. I don't remember because we discuss a lot of things. And, yeah, it was just something about, you know, well, this play happened a thousand times in the first half of the season, and it was all Allen's fault every time. And I'm like, I don't think we ever once – put the blame solely on Allen when four defenders chased one guy and left the other guy wide open. Like I just I just keep watching this back. She had a leaping in the notes and so it just gets worse every time. Yeah. So <laughs> it's just I mean, yeah, you can be transfixed by these gifts that Jeff makes us because it is just awful. And again, like if Allen was in net, I'm pretty sure and we're no big defenders of Jake Allen on this podcast, but I'm pretty sure we'd be saying that's all the defense's fault. Um, and honestly, Bennington maybe could have still made a save here, but it's still not his fault. The defense hung him out to dry. And I just feel, I don't know why we can't just say, you know, maybe it's not the re- rest of history that will go this way, but right now Jordan Bennington's the hottest goaltender on the planet, and there's no reason to really discuss him versus Allen until at least he cools off a little bit, you know, but whatever. Um, Bennington proved us a little bit right by making a preposterous save on our old friend David Backus late in the second period to keep the score tied. Uh, Just sort of reached out and blocked it with the wrist section of his glove and kept the game from uh, getting in the Bruins' favor into the third period. Uh, which was kind of uneventful, I think. Uh, Bennington made a lot of good saves. The shot total was low, but he had a number of really like high-danger saves that he had to make. Uh, Sammy Blay drew a trip as he entered the zone and earned the Blues a penalty in the final eight minutes. Uh, it was not a good power play. Um, Sammy Blay will come up again later on, though. And uh, the Blues held on for a point, at least, to end the third period. How do you feel about the regulation effort during this game? Yeah, I think I was, I was happy that we got a point. Um, be, you know, it seemed like a good game. It was back and forth. Uh, I'm glad that Bax didn't score because I don't like when he tries to play hockey against us. <laughs> but, yeah, that was good. Can't, can't <laughs> play against anybody else, but he can against us. Um, oh, it hurts my heart. <laughs> overtime was relatively boring for three-on-three. Three. Blues got a couple of chances late. Um, Robert Thomas went for the Barkov through the legs over the shoulder shot, uh, but couldn't quite get it on net where he needed it, uh, which led to a shootout, which where do you stand on the shootout? Are they terrible? Are they fun? Are they terrible but fun? How do you feel? They're terrible but fun. They're, uh, I always get super excited, but I also hate them. So. They're really, yeah, I mean... It's similar to penalty kicks in soccer. There's no world in which a game should be decided that way. But at the same time, once you've played 120 minutes of soccer, you literally can't play more minutes of soccer <laughs> slash football. Yeah. So you got to end it somehow. And I feel like regular season games, I know a lot of people are dead set against the shootout, but regular season games do not need to be going to third and fourth 
overtimes ever. Yeah, ever, I mean, ever. it's kind of like a coin toss, but yeah, you're also, you know, playing how much hockey during the year. You can yeah. play a shootout, that's fine. Yeah, exactly. So Bozak scored early. It was a nice shot. He's got a lot more skill than he gets credit for. Uh, there were a bunch of misses and or saves, but largely misses. Charlie Coyle equalized with the Bruins' third and final shot of the first quote-unquote round. Bennington looked pretty good. Uh, He looked like he maybe overstretched on a Marchand shot and maybe hurt himself a little bit, but apparently didn't hurt himself too bad as he played the next, uh, well, not the next game because it was a back-to-back, but the game after that. Uh, And then Blay, Sammy Blay, our own sixth-round pick from 2014, uh, who was 5'6 at the time and is now 6'2, uh, made a sick, sick move to win it with really an incredibly patient deke way out to Rask's right, right at the goal line, and just really insane every time I'm watching it. Just to roof it from that angle is really ridiculous. And so he's a, he's a young player with a lot of promise, I think, and a lot of possibility to be either a, a really nice trade chip or just a, a good contributor in, you know, a third line role or even a second line role potentially. It's it's tough to see where his ceiling is, but he's got a lot of skill for sure. So uh, Yeah, that's what I like about our fourth line this year is that they play really hard, but they also have that kind of like little bit of skill coming out that most fourth line grinders don't have. Yeah. So it's, it works well in this situation. Yeah, they definitely don't feel like your typical sort of lame grinder type. Uh, so the Blues win the game two to one technically, but really you know one to one with a shootout victory. Uh, they were slightly outshot. One more of the faceoffs, yada yada yada. Got a lot more hits. Um, pretty good, pretty good effort overall. The blue, uh, the Blues had a flu bug running through the team over the weekend, which uh, took the energy out of a lot of them, and I think really shows in this next game that we'll discuss. Um, but over, overall, good effort, good win against a, a tough Eastern Conference opponent. Um, the Minnesota Wild came, or we went to Minnesota to play the Wild uh, on Sunday, that second half of a back-to-back, Jake Allen was starting. Um, it was a boring first period. I mean, the, the Wild are bad, as we already discussed. How they are even in the conversation for a playoff spot really baffles me. I mean, Bruce, Bruce Boudreau has that voodoo magic of, um, not getting past the first round, but never going less than that. So I guess he's keeping that up this year. Uh, there were a couple power plays early in the second for each team, but the wild got the first goal, 1142 into the second Jason Zucker, who did not get traded to the flames at the deadline, despite extensive talks along that trajectory, uh, was assisted by Eric Stahl and Greg Pattern, who should not be on an NHL roster, much less an everyday defenseman. Um, but this was kind of a quick developing goal. Stall made a play behind the net. Um, suddenly had it in a pass in front to Zucker, who sort of one-timed it in. Hard to tell from this angle if maybe Allen could have gotten a piece of it, but I'm not going to blame him. It was a defensive breakdown more than anything, and Zucker was right there in the net, in the crease, unopposed. Much like Brett Hall's goal, this shouldn't have counted. It was in the crease. If it was in 1995. How did they they ever enforce that rule without... Anyway, well, they did it. They, they did it. Not. <laughs> yeah. 
whatever. Uh, this is neither the time nor place to talk about sheep <laughs> increases, but Zucker makes it one nothing. Kind of felt like it could just end one nothing. I mean, the Blues were fluish and exhausted and just didn't have a lot left in the tank. Uh, but credit to them, they got a lot of pressure in the third period early, and Alex Petrangelo tied it with his ninth goal of the season. Um, Tyler Bozak, Vladimir Tarasenko got assists. It was nice passing back and forth on the power play. Petrangelo just wind and fired a shot, and it ricocheted off uh, Joel Erickson Eck and maybe a couple of other players uh, and into the net. Our friend Jeff made a terrific gif that you can uh, watch if you go to our Twitter account of the play merged with the Magic Loogie scene from Seinfeld, which is an all-time classic. Um, Justin, do you know the Magic Loogie reference, or are you in the dark on that? Yes, I I, I got got it. it. You know, it's early 90s pop culture. Us young folks, it could go right over our head, but... Uh, it's a wonderful gift. I adore it very much. And so it was one-to-one. Um, Petrangelo made it one-to-one. Allen had a couple of brilliant saves to keep the Blues in it. All the credit to him. He really earned this team the point, which I'm emphasizing very much because it's going to seem like I don't feel that way in a few minutes, but he really, Allen is responsible for this point as much as anyone else is. Uh, he made a nice save on Stahl. <laughs> or I think Stahl, and he made an incredible stretching kick save against Joel Erickson Eck, or Jeek, as I keep typing and then looking at it and thinking, what the hell does that mean? Uh, but in any case, uh, he kept his pad strong against the post. That was the really impressive save. I don't know how he kept from being pushed into the net, but he did, and we got to overtime tied at one, making it points in like 13 of our last 14 or something like that. 12 of our last 14, I don't know, some ungodly number. Um, the Wild did get the win with newcomer Ryan Donato, who they got in the Charlie Coyle trade, scoring his first goal with the Wild in his first game on home ice on a shot from the board, which uh, I can't, is that maybe Tarasenko who has him manned there, but arguably should have done more. Uh, Zach Parisi assisted, Jonas Brodine assisted, how do you feel about Allen's effort on this? I don't want to sour your opinion of it. No, I, I felt the same way. Like, <laughs> he should have had that. He just guessed wrong where the puck was. But he was there. There's no reason why he shouldn't have had that. But Yeah, it's a weird, fluttery shot, but it does look like it goes right over his glove. And I know people will hate that I'm saying that, and I get it. I'm just, I just want to suggest that it can be both. It can be true that he played a great game and that he still should have made this save. I'm not blaming the loss on him because I am crediting him with the point, Uh, but both of those things can be true, I feel like. And so, again, I don't feel like we need to fight about it. Um, But I'm happy we got the point. Um, It definitely looked like a tired team against a team that's going nowhere. Uh, It was a boring game. (laughs) Those are my thoughts. Absolutely. (laughs) And, yeah, we were a fluish team who didn't play especially well, uh, and, you know, it was a miracle to get a point in the opposing building, and so we'll take it. Uh, Fortunately, the Blues had a couple of days off before playing the Predators for the third time in February. How did you feel about the Predators game? Oh, this is a good game. Yeah, it's playoff atmosphere. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a good description of it. Um, the 
score was tied through the first and second period. I mean, they were good periods of hockey, but there's just not a ton to talk about, really. Um, I feel like, you know, there were just kind of back and forth. Bennington looked really good. Saros looked really good. Um, I think. Yeah, I think Sarasenko had some really good chances, especially in that second period. But yeah, Saros just playing too well. Yeah, I mean, Blues ended up having something like 44 shots, and Saros stopped all but one of them. So credit to him. He's. His, their goaltending isn't going to be any worse after Rene leaves, it looks like, uh, or any less finish. It's going to be both of those <laughs> things. But in any case, Which I guess, go ahead. No, that's fine. Finish, uh, finish goalie. Finished yes. goaltenders are, are notoriously great, so good for them. Because um, they're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they probably are. Uh, yeah, so the Blues did ultimately score the first goal. Tyler Bozak... Uh, got his 10th of the season. Tarasenko assisted. Petrangelo assisted. This wasn't technically a power play goal, but the uh, whichever Predator had been sent off didn't make it really back into the zone. I mean, you can see him chasing on 92. Is that Johansson, maybe? I think it might be Johansson. Johansson yes. somebody. Um, but in any case, he hadn't really made it back into the zone before the play was over. Uh, it was a really nice pass from Tarasenko to Bozak, a good pass from Petrangelo to Tarasenko, and a good shot by Bozak, except watching this gif, it did five-hole Saros pretty bad, and it's kind <laughs> of unfortunate that the one goal he let in in such a great performance was this one. But again, you can have one bad goal without the whole game being your fault. See, I can say it about the Predators, too. Um... Yeah, I mean it was uh, Bozak. I'm I'm really glad for Bozak that he's starting to find his groove a little bit. First of all, I think he's still a good player. I mean, we overpaid for him in free agency because you overpay for everyone in free agency. Uh, but I think he's a good contributor on the third line. He's a he's an exceptional third line center. You know, I mean, he's got high skill. He's a great face off man. For a third-line center, you're overpaying, but I think he fills that role really well. Uh, and on top of that, he's just a really good person. I mean, he, he and his, his wife and his family seem to be great people who really want to help out in the community. His wife is a bone marrow donor. Uh, so I'm glad, I'm glad he's part of this team. I don't know. How do you feel about Bozak overall? Hey, I like him. That um, <laughs> like that shot was nice. That like backhanded shot that he had a couple of games ago, like he has these like weird flashes of skill that you don't expect out of him. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of like a solid, dependable player, but also has that high level that you kind of forget about. Yeah, he feels um, like yeah. one of those guys. I enjoy who, um, Yeah, has that kind of high end that he can't always access. Sort of the way TJ Oshie used to be, not to the same extent necessarily, but uh, that sort of occasionally Oshie would just make a play all by himself. You know, like once or twice a season, he'd just skate from behind his own net and deke everyone and just put the puck in net, and you'd be like, why aren't you uh, doing on that? On your knees, break goal, yeah, yeah, to exactly. finish like the 2011 year or whatever that was. And you're like, why aren't you doing that? <laughs> Every game, you know, it was it was just the inconsistency, and I think Bozak has the same problem a little bit. But I'm glad he's here. Nobody's ever going to love that contract that he's on, but I don't think it's that awful. So, and I don't think he's like a liability in any part of the game either. No, no. So it's not I mean, necessarily that he's going to be costing you possession or anything. I mean, he's nice. He can play. He can play all three situations, even strength, power play, penalty kill, really well. 
So yeah, I mean, it's just it's just a matter of you got a guy in free agency and you overpaid for him, and you didn't know that you were getting Ryan O'Reilly later that day. But I think he helps complement the team. I mean, he's you know they're overpaying for Nick Bonino and uh, Nashville too, but they wanted a fourth line or a third line center that they could rely on. So what are you going to do, uh, Petrangelo? The Blues really did a good job of keeping their foot on the gas in this third period. Not that the Predators didn't have any chances after we scored, but really the Blues kind of controlled the play. Uh, they got a power play late after one of after PK Subban actually got called for one of his sh- many shenanigans. Uh, we can talk a little bit about how shitty a human being Subban was during this game, but um, yeah, I think it was Blay or somebody, maybe Barbashev, who was basically really arguably on a breakaway out of the defensive zone and with the goalie pulled and Subban had I mean he really had to dive to trip him or he would have had a totally open net unopposed and they called it a penalty they arguably should have given the Blues a free goal because I think theoretically a penalty shot with an empty net is awarded as just an automatic goal um, and yeah, and I guess because he was like so far in our zone still that maybe they didn't call it, but yeah, it looked like it definitely should yeah, have been. Definitely Subam was the last man to beat. So um, in any case, didn't end up mattering. The Blues controlled the power play, got, you know, took advantage the way they needed to. And uh, <laughs> the uh, final goal, they sort of tried to make a desperation pass up, up ice and Saros skated out of the net, and Petrangelo got it and just fired it right back on the net. Uh, it's it's a funny gift because you can see Saros skating off and then us scoring the empty net. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that was with four seconds left, so it was a power play goal, good for Petrangelo, but it didn't matter much. It was basically a one nothing game. Uh, thoughts on Subban? Thoughts on that goal? Thoughts on anything that we just discussed? And what else? I was just like, oh, well, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, I'm <laughs> like, timing of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Pretty much. Um, yeah, that. I mean, I want to like PKC that as a player, but like all the cheap stuff they does just like makes you kind of hate them. And it's like not even in a bad way. Like I'm scared to play him. It's just like it's like stupid stuff. Yeah, like, seems like it has no impact on the game. He's just a tremendous, to annoy the fans that are watching. Seems to be a tremendous human being off the ice. He's a wonderful character for the game. But yeah, I mean, he's a he's a real shitty person to play against. Um, I did enjoy how Bray and Barbershop were afraid to get in his face, though. That was nice. Yeah, and McEachran. <laughs> I think I don't want to. I want to give him some props because McEachran, who has been sort of a revelation on that fourth line. Uh, you know, doing all the gritty stuff that fourth liners are supposed to do, but like you said a few minutes ago, with that added element of just a little bit of skill uh, thrown on top, McEachran was really terrorizing Subban the whole game, and it was fun to see. Uh, the real, I mean, the real ama- amazing highlight of this game that I think we'll always remember it for uh, is the legend of Jordan Bennington that continues to grow and grow uh, after the game, making his comments uh, to Jim Thomas when he was asked. Well, you guys have had so many close games these last couple of weeks. It, it would seem to be pretty uh, nerve-wracking. Is it nerve-wracking to you? You're, you're a flat liner, but it seems... Pretty exciting hockey. Do I look nervous? <laughs> no. <laughs> what was your answer? Uh, a, a tremendous response by Bennington. How did you feel about that one? 
Yeah, I I think he's like a little bit insane, which you need in a goalie. Like all goalies, if he just has like a little bit of Martin Brodeur in him, I think that's good. All the best goalies <laughs> are at least five percent insane. Patrick Wild, and you want to like if you try to fight the opposing team, I think that's usually a good all sign the, that all the greatest goalies are full on insane. Actually, Brodeur, Roy, like you said, uh, Hashik was a so total good. nutter. Hashik was out of his mind. I mean, yeah, to be a truly great goalie, you got to have a little crazy in you. Um, so, yeah, Bennington, I mean, we'll never know. No goalie is this good. That's the reality of it. No goalie is going to have a 1.6 goals against average and a 940 save percentage for the rest of his career. Um, but, I mean, it's been an incredible ride, and I'm enjoying every second of it. And, Going to create some tough decisions for the Blues in the offseason, whether they're just going to say Jordan Bennington's the man until he proves otherwise or what they're going to do going forward. It's going to be interesting to yeah. see navigating that. Contract. And that's a kind of an, it's kind of an offseason discussion. But, yeah, I think you have to like you have to pay him and you have to find a way to offset Allen. I think he gives you more upside than what Allen's going to give you because you know what Allen's going to give you at this point. right now. Um, so, yeah, and, and we got a few minutes left. We can talk about some of the things coming up for the Blues. Uh, this is an interesting thing you pointed out to me, first of all. So thank you for finding it, Stat Genius. That you yeah, are. No problem. Um, but you pointed out after the, I think it was after this game on Tuesday, that the Predators, or that the Blues rather, have one of the easier strengths of schedule for the remaining rest of the year. Uh, I think at the time you pointed it out, they were like third or fourth from the bottom. Now they're second from the bottom. Uh, They have a score of opponent average of 19.74. The higher, the better. Um, And uh, the Predators and the Jets distinctly do not have easy strengths of schedule. The Predators have the 10th hardest, I guess, uh, with the uh, 15.919 average, and the Jets have the fifth hardest with a 13.47 average, which pose, which forces us to ask the question, do the Blues have a shot at winning this division? Oh, right, man. Now? <laughs> right now, they are four points back of the Jets uh, in second place, and they've played as many games as the Jets, so they don't have any games in hand. Uh, but they're five points back of the Predators, uh, who have played three more games. So as much as I despised people who talked about games in hand earlier in the season, uh, they do have the ability to just keep pace with Nashville and win those three games in hand. And at least overtake them to guarantee themselves home ice in the first round. Do you think the Blues could do the unthinkable and win this division, or do you think we should be set? Well, we should be either way, but would you caution us to be satisfied with third place and just take it like, as it comes? I mean, I would be happy with third place, but like I think we play the bottom eight teams over the next month, like all in a row, pretty much. Um, and a lot of those teams look like they just don't care anymore. So it's like the perfect time to play them uh-huh. and don't play the Jets. You don't play the Preds. And it's, I don't want to get too optimistic because that usually lets me down. And as a St. Louis sports fan, I know that uh-huh. you always play down to level your competition, but uh, it's definitely encouraging to see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, um, 
That's inc- that's exactly right. And I mean the the schedule they have, I don't want to I don't want to put too much emphasis on it, but the schedule they have coming up is truly laughable. Ridiculously bad. <laughs> they play like five of their next 16 games against playoff teams, one of which is against the Hurricanes who are barely a playoff team uh on tomorrow night. Um but yeah, I mean it's just bad overall and they really have the ability to compete for the division as crazy as that is i mean if they just if they play as well against crappy opponents as they have against the tough opponents which to be honest has not been their strength this year um or a lot of years it seems like with the blues but if they dominate lesser opponents like they should They've got a shot. I'm not saying it's a good shot, but it's a shot. And honestly, if they even got, you know, to second in the division from last place in the NHL on the 3rd of January, it would have to be considered maybe the most remarkable turnaround for any team in the history of the NHL. Um, Yeah, I think the fact that we're even having this conversation is ridiculous, considering where we were a month and a half ago. Yeah. I wrote up some of the stats on the month of February for this team for an article, and they hit, they went 13-1-1 in the month of February, obviously won the tip first 10 games. Um, they played 15 games in 25 days. Ten of them were on the road. They had three weekend back-to-backs and went 5-0-1 in those six games. They never had a break longer than two days off between games, and that only happened once. Every other game in February occurred after no more than one day of rest. Um, 11 of their 15 opponents were playoff teams, current playoff teams, whether or not they were at the time. And then the other two were the Blue Jackets and the Coyotes, who are both right outside the playoff bubble. And they beat the Lightning once and the Predators four or three times. It was just insane how well they did um, in the month of February. So St. Louis Blues find new ways to break our hearts constantly and could do that again, by just laying an egg against the uh, lesser caliber of opponent they have in the month of February. But this team does seem different. It doesn't seem like they'll do that. Uh, But I guess only time will tell. Um, Before we let you go, I feel like we should talk about the big story around the NHL tonight. John Tavares' return to Long Island which I have to say, thank God it happened at the Nassau Coliseum and not at the Barclays Center. Oh, man. Um, yeah. What? I, I want to get your thoughts. I don't want to color them too much. But before I give any of my th- or before I throw to you, I would just say what a spectacle it was, if nothing else. Um, from the moment he stepped on the ice in pregame warmups, he was just met with a shower of booze. Uh, throughout the game, anytime he was on the ice, there were various chants of asshole or we don't need you or worse things I could repeat on this podcast but won't. Um, it was just a constant, constant barrage of hatred and vitriol and anger. Uh, and it, it led ultimately to a 6-1 to one Islanders victory, which I have to say, I, I don't hold a lot of ill will to the... Uh, Maple Leafs, Lord knows we talk about them enough already on this show, but it was satisfying <laughs> to see that. What did you think about the overall thing, and then what did you think about the 
Islanders react or the fans reaction because the organization did what it had to do and aired a really nice tribute video that got largely drowned out by booze. But what did you think about the whole night? <laughs> I kind of love it. It makes it you know must must watch television that I feel like we don't have enough as a sport in the NHL. Mm-hmm. It like it reminds me a lot of when LeBron went to Miami and like played his first game back at Cleveland and like a lot of that kind of fanfare of. Like the organizations and trash talking you, but the fans know that you could have signed with them, but you didn't. It's kind of like what I hoped that we would have played, that the Cardinals would have played like the Anaheim Angels that first year at the Bulls left. It's kind of that same kind of vibe of the face of your franchise leaving and like coming back. But yeah, I think it's it makes the sport fun because uh, the environment is more, I don't know, I feel like that's what sports should be, just people being hostile towards the other team. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I saw a lot of people call him classless and whatever, and I listen, I get that side of the argument. But I gotta say, I I consider myself a pretty level-headed sports fan. I know the biz, I know the business side of things, but when Albert Pujols left St. Louis, I was personally hurt. You know, my feelings were hurt. It's, it's that, <laughs> and listen, he's going to come back to Bush Stadium for the first time this summer. And it's we're gonna give him a standing ovation. Later, and he's gonna be going happy to about get it. A hero's welcome. <laughs> it's gonna be an hours long standing ovation. It's gonna be ridiculous, and it should be. And he deserves every second of it. But like you said, if he'd come back in 2012, if he'd come back that next season, I can't guarantee he would have gotten that. In fact, my suspicion is that he would not have gotten that. Feelings were hurt, and one of the reasons feelings were hurt. Uh, which is true maybe to a lesser extent of Tavares, was the amount that he claimed he wanted to stay in St. Louis forever, that he wanted to be a lifelong Cardinal, that he wanted to you know play for this organization forever and, and build that reputation that was similar to Stan Musial's. Now, as it ended up, the, Blues, or the Cardinals didn't give him anywhere near the same offer, uh, which is very different from the Tavares situation because I think the Islanders offered him more money. Uh, but offered Tavares more money, not Albert Pujols. They never offered. <laughs> they offered Albert Pujols more money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, it's just I know that it's a business for the players and for the teams and as an organization and for the owners and for the GMs, it's a business. But it's not for the fans, and it shouldn't be for the fans. And as much as you can question the wisdom or the kindness or the charity or whatever you want to say about Islanders fans today. You can't question their passion, you know, and that. Yeah, I think you grow, you kind of like grow an emotional attachment to a player. Like, so Tarasenko was a free agent this year and like ended up going to, I don't know, San Jose or something. Like I would be pretty upset at him for as much as he claims to love the city of St. Louis and then to walk in free agency. It's kind of like a shot in the heart. Right, and again, it's like it's not like they can offer him a ton more money because we can offer him the eighth year, and we can you know, and we can offer him as much or more money with the salary cap. So yeah, it's just I get people who criticize the Islanders fan if fans if they do this every time, it will get old and ridiculous. Um, but for the first time, I really can't blame them. It was a hell of a fun game to watch. Um, just from a you know a TV presentation aspect of it, um, and I kind of get it. You know, Tavares 
And honestly, if Tavares wanted to shut him up, he could have had a phenomenal game. He didn't, especially. Nobody on the Maple Leafs did. And so, you know, kind of good, more power to him. I feel like uh, the one thing I did find especially humorous was the constant, we don't need you chance, which is <laughs> true. I mean, they're doing better this season than arguably they ever did under his run. Uh, but if you don't need him, then why are you so salty about it? That's the one <laughs> question I would ask. Um, but other than that, you know, it was a, f- a hell of a lot of fun to watch. I don't question their heart or passion, even if their head's not in the right place. Who can blame them? You know, super Yeah, strange. I mean, you're not thinking about logically at that point. <laughs> exactly. Um, so it was fun. If you get a chance to watch some of the footage, I heartily recommend it. Uh, anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here, Justin? No, I'm good with that. Excellent. Do you have... Uh, Ian's starting to come, too, so I think I, you know, he's probably going to want to get back on soon. Yeah, exactly. He's gonna be uh, he's gonna be eager to get back after he comes down from his uh, week long <laughs> opioid binge. Um, so yeah, so thanks for coming on. You want to plug any of your uh, various podcasts and tweets and things? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> if you guys want to, if you like to hear me talk and you want to hear me talk about running and that sort of activity, um, I have a podcast called Running Through It. Give it a listen. You can follow me on Twitter at Horniker Justin. If you want to get the podcast link, I have it all over there. And I also tweet uh, funny things sometimes. So He very much does. And Justin actually makes running seem like something that's interesting or appealing to me in any way, which is a compliment hey, of the I'll highest order, Justin, because <laughs> it's not to me. But, you know, Ian loves it, so you're a high mind in that respect as well. Uh, so, yeah, go check out Justin. I'm sure he'll be back. He is our Steve Martin, our Alec Baldwin. He is here, even if you don't want him to be. So, guys, <laughs> make a timer's jacket because I'll be in on that. Yeah, we'll, have to, we'll figure something out for sure. Okay. Uh, so until uh, until we return next week, thanks for tuning in. We will now leave you with the uh, wonderful dulcet tones of whatever song I decide to play as an outro, and we will talk to you next week. I love this song. <laughs> Do I look nervous? <laughs> no. <laughs> What's your answer? What's wrong with being? What's wrong with being? What's wrong with being confident? Uh-huh. What's wrong with being? What's wrong with being? What's wrong with being confident? Uh-huh. It's time to get the change What's wrong with being confident? Uh-huh. What's wrong with